0: The Video Insiders is the show that makes sense of all that is happening in the world of online video, as seen through the eyes of a second generation Kodak nerd and a marketing guy who knows what iframes and macro blocks are. And here are your hosts, Mark Donegan and Drawer
1: Gill. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Video Insiders. And uh, with me, as always, my co host, Mark Donegan. Hi, Mark. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing great, Drawer. It's always good to be on the microphone. Well, we have a great interview today, so let's jump in.
1: Yeah, let's jump in. And I'd like to welcome to our podcast today, Emery Wells from uh, Frame.io. Hi, Emery, and welcome to the Video Insiders.
2: Hey, guys. Thanks for having me.
1: It's a great pleasure. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background in the industry? I think you are definitely a Video Insider.
2: Sure, yeah. So I'm I'm this co-founder and CEO of a company called Frame.io. We're a video review and collaboration product. Uh, we're about 150 people based in New York City, and prior to that, I was in post production for about 15 years. So I did kind of everything everything there is to do in the in the kind of post production space. I was a video editor. I did motion graphics and visual effects, visual effects supervision, pipeline engineering, produced original content for network television. Uh, I had a post production company for about a decade and used to do all the SNL digital shorts. We do color grading and finishing. Um, things like that. And we started building Frame.io as an internal tool at my previous post-production company just to solve all of the collaboration challenges that we were having working with our clients and other vendors and each other internally. When When you're making video, really for any type of purpose, doesn't matter what it's for, there's a lot of people involved. Uh, people need access to files. People need to review. People need to comment. You know, there's this kind of all this business process and, uh, that, sur- that surrounds the, the creative process. And there just wasn't at the time really any kind of centralized tool to just kind of manage, you know, manage all of that. And so we started building Frame.io for ourselves, but quickly realized that everyone that makes video shares that same set of collaboration challenges. So we decided to branch it off as its own company and focus on it full time. We launched the product about five years ago, and, and back then it was just me and my co-founder. But we've now grown, as I said, to about 150 people across uh, several rounds of venture venture capital financing, raising 82 million dollars to date. And uh, you know, we now we're just fully off to the races.
1: Wow, that's amazing. You know, I think it's at least the third time that uh, we have heard here on the podcast um, from uh, people who were faced with a problem. In, in a certain company they were working at and developed a tool for solving that problem internally and then eventually uh, spun it off uh, as a company. I think, uh, uh, Mark, actually one of them was not a company, it was a band, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes,
0: that's right. It, it was a band that became a company, which was right, <laughs> right. cool. It was
1: a band that needed a, wanted to do an interactive video, so they built an internal tool and ended up uh, forming a company that develops uh, interactive uh, video tools that that was echo
2: I think that's I think there's a you know there's there's this there's this term that people use a lot called product market fit when you're launching something and then you you know you reach product market fit which is you know your product's meeting the needs of the market but I think equally important that I heard many years ago but resonates strongly with me is is founder market fit and I think the people that wind up creating products to solve their own problems have you know really deep founder market fit and and enables you to um, to reach product market fit a lot faster.
0: What you just said, it it totally resonates because as we all know, you know, even when someone's thinking about joining a company, um, the team is, is almost more important than the product and the market because a really good team, you know, still trying to figure out the product, figure out exactly where they should be selling that into, you know, yeah, it's hard, but you know, it's a great team and they'll figure it out, but you know, a not so great team that, you know, that, that has a great product is going to struggle, you know? And, uh, so it's really awesome when, you have a need you you identify need in the market because it's your need <laughs> you know and and you're already working together with a group of people and so you say hey, well let's go solve this for us you know so it's natural to pivot into a commercial offering and so it's a great uh, boy it's a great launch patent. and 80 you said 82 million you've raised that's right yeah that's that's very very yeah very impressive. Who are some of your VCs, by the way?
2: Our most recent uh, Series C round was led by Insight Venture Partners, which are based here in New York. And then um, uh, one of our other large investors is Excel, uh, based out on the West Coast. And um, we have you know, a couple other really great investors: First Mark Capital, based here in New York City, Signal Fire, Shasta. Uh, Some some really great support.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So let's talk about this. This great product. Um, Investors are lining up. So there's obviously something here. Uh, Looking at your website, modern video workflow, redefine. There's a lot of messages around, um, you know, speed and efficiency. And of course, you've moved um, this this whole solution into the cloud. So maybe it's helpful um, to uh, give us context for kind of what what came before, you know, how are these systems typically um, implemented, operated? Um, I guess the advantages are super obvious, (laughs) you know, in the cloud or really in the browser. Why don't you unpack that for us? You know, explain why this is so uh, valuable and useful and why everyone's excited about this approach over what they were doing previously.
2: Sure. So, uh, so the context is, you know, we launched in 2015, and we started working on it a couple years before that as an internal tool. State of the world in 2013, when you know, you wanted to, when you were working on, uh, working on any type of video. I happen to be doing kind of advertising, commercial, broadcast type, type work. But when you wanted to, people were just using a, a mishmash of different services. So, if I want to back up even a little bit further, you know, a few years before that, basically all of video workflow had to happen in person or by snail mail right so like you're either your people are sitting down together working on a video doing an edit doing a color grade session doing an audio mix doing whatever you just had to be there and then if you wanted to sort of like get more people involved or or you know be able to kind of review outside of that session you would burn dvds or tapes and you'd ship them and mail them or messenger messenger them and that was the way people worked. Uh, and and that you know that wasn't so long ago. It was really a you know, it's a decade ago. So that was the predominant way. and then and then as video, you know, as you guys you guys know very well, I mean, video has not always been good on the internet. You know it's like only really, when did we start getting good ten eighty playback on on the web that was reliable and high quality, right? Like video playback was not always good. Video files are huge. and uh, and so you know kind of twenty thirteen time frame, twenty fourteen time frame. We had gotten to the point where, you know, YouTube was around, Vimeo was around, um, video playback started getting kind of good, you know, storage, online storage, cloud storage kind of got a little bit cheaper. And so people started trying to facilitate more of the workflow to kind of happen online, right? You'd share files online, you'd upload an mp4 of an edit you did to get feedback if the client couldn't be there. But it just was it was kind of a mess because, you know, you think about any kind of creative process, you know, can be sometimes a couple people involved, can be many people involved. And so on a job that we were doing. Let's say we're doing a, an edit or, or some motion graphics or visual effects. It doesn't matter what we're doing. Um, I might hire a freelancer, and you know they're doing some work for me. Maybe they're not in the office, and I need to send them the high-res shots to work on. So I would send that. I at the time I used to just upload stuff directly to S3. I used uh, Transmit. They had a you know a nice little uh, Amazon S3 uh, support, so you could upload directly to Transmit, and I would send files that way. Just kind of share a, a, a raw link that somebody could download a file, and then they're sending me back previews on their personal Vimeo site, but it's a court you know it's it's password protected or unlisted and then I'm sending out you know cuts to my client on some other service and they're sending me reference by all all kinds of different ways and basically like there was no central way to manage this process and it was just like links in emails just flying around all these links that you know had different passwords associated with them. It's Dropbox links. It's box links. It's Hightail links. It's, you know, Vimeo links. It's unlisted YouTube links. It's just like everyone trying to kind of share files and preview stuff they're working on and collect feedback. And then all the actual like feedback itself was in the email. And so you're trying to communicate in this static email on this moving visual Imagery, So you have conversations in email like, well, at one minute and 10 seconds in two frames, there's this thing happening that I don't like. And then the thing you said after that, we should, you know, cut out and move it before the thing he said before. And it's it's impossible. It's impossible to have a constructive conversation that way. And if you get into more kind of detailed feedback, like we used to do tons of, uh, um, you know, like kind of nuts and bolts visual effects work. We would paint out logos and, and do kind of cleanup like that. And a client's trying to communicate like literally like in a shot of a car like driving down the street or like a you know like a car a camera mounted on a car driving down the street, shooting the city. And there's like a ten thousand logos that show up in that shot, and a client trying to communicate to me which ones need to be removed uh, over an email. And then like, you know, they're like taking screenshots and like drawing on it in Photoshop and then sending a PDF and like, you know, it was maddening. It was absolutely maddening. So my co-founder was an employee of mine at my post-production company and and he wasn't like a full-time engineer at the time, but he'd certainly, you know, he was an engineer and he he had done some coding stuff in school. So we just kind of started screwing around. We were like, Oh, we can try to build something that would solve this better. And that's how it started.
1: Yeah, we, we definitely uh, understand the problem as you describe it very vividly. And uh, if you can you know, build a workflow and, and you know the requirements of the workflow because you're in the field uh, that exactly addresses this uh, problem, it is great. This workflow that you create, it kind of reminds me of a platform called InVision, which is used for graphic designers and UX. So you're kind of the InVision of video.
2: Yeah, that's right. So, you know, we're very close with Envision. We've always thought of Envision as kind of a sister company, you know, the founder uh, Clark invested a little bit in Frammyon in the early days and we share a lot of the same investors. So, yeah, there's a very a very similar story uh to uh to Envision and what they do for the design space.
1: Right. And there in Envision, you can uh, you can comment on various uh, places and assign tasks and things like that. So, I assume you do similar stuff for the video.
2: Yeah, we you know we sort of act as the water cooler for the projects. So you upload you know the any shots that need any high res shots that need to be distributed to different people that are working on them. Any work in progress of edits or motion graphics or visual effects. You can leave comments. They're time stamped, so you leave a comment on a particular frame. You can draw and annotate on the frame you know, um, you can manage kind of versions as you go through the creative process. We integrate with all the core creative tools. So you can upload directly from Final Cut and Premiere and After Effects and DaVinci Resolve. So, you know, we we really just kind of like try to get our tentacles and all the creative tools to make sure that that's a really seamless workflow for both the the video creatives and, you know, all the kind of uh, stakeholders that are involved as well.
1: When I compare the the graphics to the video, I think from a technical standpoint, you know, the challenges are, are much bigger because video, you have 30, 60, 120 images every second. And uh, when you're doing the production, you're working with very high-resolution files, 4K, sometimes 8K, you know, white color gamut, HDR. And this results in very, very large files. Uh, So how do you manage those huge uh, uh, videos in your platform? Do you create, like, preview versions or uh, do you transcode them? It would be great to understand some of the... You know technical aspects of the workflow.
2: Sure. Yeah. And I'll and i I could speak to it. I'll caveat that you know I'm not an engineer myself, so I, I maybe won't have all the detail. But we we built our own video transcoding pipeline. So the same way you upload to you know many video services, um, we'll will create you know multiple resolutions um, that we use for our adaptive bitrate streaming. It's a pretty standard kind of video transcoding you know pipeline. But we also store the original file. So if you upload a 4K ProRes file, that's the file that gets stored. If you download it, you know you're going to download the 4K ProRes file, so you can use Frame.io for um, sharing of those of those high-res assets. But of course, when you're playing it back in the browser, when you're watching it on a mobile device, we have a you know, great iPhone and iPad app. Uh, you're playing back the the proxies, and, um, and we we have um, audio, video, images, PDFs, kind of all go through our 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 media processing pipeline to create the the web versions for playback.
1: Your website mentioned a very fast upload time compared to other services. How, how is that achieved? Is it kind of special technology on the transport side or special compression that you use?
2: You know, it's um, it's just kind of bringing the right pieces together. HTTP protocol was never really built for, for speed and just sort of, you know, pushing as much data through as fast as, as possible. And so there are services that are kind of dedicated to acceleration of, of data transfer over the internet. And pretty much all of them will use usually like UDP or something um, where they can just blast as much data through as possible. But typically, you know you have to download a separate application to get that that stuff working fully functionally. And we wanted something that would just work natively in the browser. So um, you know we we've always used HTTP uh, from the from the beginning. and we do a multi-part HTTP upload, which at this you know nowadays is not not so uncommon. Um, it was a little bit uncommon when we did it when we started it, you know, several years ago, but um, now fairly straightforward to do. Uh, we take a single file, we break it up into chunks, and uh, we we do multiple parallel uploads of those chunks, and then reassemble them uh, in S3. And then there's a there's an infrastructure component as well. So a big part of the the speed is the the low latency connection that you have to the S3 region. Uh, that you're uploading to. So we, we basically have a, a sort of a service in place, which so is kind of like a CDN in reverse. So when you're uploading, you're uploading to an edge location that's nearest to you. And then from the edge back to our origin, which happens to be in North Virginia, we can do a managed accelerated transfer from edge to origin. And uh, the client application is, has has a low latency connection to the edge. So when you combine that with the multi-part upload, we're able to get, you know, get over the, the speed limitations of HTTP. And overall, it's took like a really, really fast upload. The infrastructure side is very expensive. It's a it's a real cost for us to, to deliver that speed, um, particularly on the infrastructure side.
0: That's a really smart approach. And everything is built on AWS? Yes. Interesting. You know, in the early days of Beamer, we were working very closely. I mean, we've continued to through the years, but especially in the earlier days, working very closely with all the studios. And of course, our core invention is reducing the size of, of video files, but retaining quality and um, it, it really struck me. You've got the iPad and the iPhone application because I can remember one studio and draw. I, I know that you were in multiple meetings with these guys. So you remember who I'm talking about where they were really interested in our technology for applications where directors were, um, you know, either in the field, you know, on set or were vacation or wherever they happen to be in the world. And, um, and A, they're on a, they're on a mobile device. um, And the the use case was an iPad or an iPhone. um, And B, you know, they just didn't have the network bandwidth, but they needed to see you know, as high quality as possible for dailies. So I'm curious. You know, how much of your of your uh, use is on on mobile? You know, meaning iPad, iPhone versus the desktop.
2: Yeah, I mean, by volume, we are. You know, the majority of our of our activity is on our web our web app our desktop web app. And then I think it's about 20 to like 25% uh, of our, uh, like our daily active users on, on mobile and iPad are probably about 25% of what they are on desktop. So, you know, it's a, it's a good chunk. And and those, those experiences are very first class experiences. They're not sort of like, you know, well, here's the rinky dink mobile version of Frame.io and iPhone, they're really good experiences, but people are predominantly doing this work when sitting at a, at a desktop or laptop.
0: That's a powerful solution that you're bringing uh, to the market, because that's 25% of those users who wouldn't have been able to, uh, you know, maybe a schedule would have gotten pushed or something, you know, a key decision, because guess what, the director can't get to it for a day and a half, you know, but or whatever, you know, but you're able to give it to them right there.
1: And I'm sure the iPad app is not kind of an afterthought, because... I heard that it won a prize uh, for the design, right?
2: Yeah, we won an Apple Design Award uh, in in 2016. It was for the original iPhone version of the app. And then just recently, we, we finally made it available on iPad as well.
0: So you're sort of handling this major content at its almost most sensitive uh, stage. It seems like security would be a really big issue for you guys. So... Um, What can you tell us about, you know, how you've designed the system from a security aspect um, both to protect the streams and, you know, make sure that those can't be um, intercepted by nefarious actors, you know, uh, or, um, you know, somebody doesn't uh, take something that they have access to because they're working on, on a video and then start sharing it around, you know?
2: Yeah, so security is a top priority for us and it's a top priority for our customers. You know the the kind of tier one content creators are hyper hyper sensitive about security, and that's been one of the big barriers to kind of providing services to that to that industry, is is the security side and everything you have to do to be kind of you know compliant uh, and build the trust necessary to get to get those customers to upload their pre-released assets into, you know, into our platform. And we've been working on that for a long time. When we first launched, you know, we were available to individuals and small teams. And over time, we've grown to be a platform that serves major Hollywood studios and and things like that. So we have a, a major security program uh, that we launched a handful of years ago, it started by hiring a great security leader, uh, was a, a lead security researcher at AT&T, PhD in cybersecurity, a bunch of patents and, and uh and research papers that are published. So started off by hiring the right person to lead this program, and we started with compliance. So compliance was the, the first place to start, and we got our SOC 2, Type 1, and Type 2 compliance. In the media and entertainment industry, there's a governing body called TPN. It's a new governing body to um, oversee the security of, uh, of, of media and entertainment. Uh, we were actually one of the first vendors to go through that program and become TPN-compliant. Um, and then, I mean, uh, to to speak to on the on the technical side, you know, I probably wouldn't be able to get into a great a great amount of detail, but I can say that we are about to release a um, a, a really significant security feature, uh, media security feature, which which we call Watermark ID, and um, we're launching it on May fifth. So uh, I'm not sure exactly when this podcast will air, but. Uh, it's, we do session-based visual watermarking, so every single time a user hits play, we, we do a real-time transcode and we burn their personal identifying information into every frame. So their name, their IP address, their, the date, timestamp, um, this is totally configurable, but, uh, and it happens every single time. So if you go and you play a video in IO and then come back an hour later, we do a, another real-time you know, transcode. And it's kind of like a live streaming architecture. Uh, so, you know, it's expensive. Again, this is actually quite expensive to do, but it's a great visual deterrent uh, to, to prevent people from leaking stuff that they're not supposed to have.
1: It's a visible watermark or an invisible one?
2: It's a visible watermark. So it visibly has your information burned into it. And uh, one of the things we're proud about with uh, with with how we built this is we get like a sub two second start time. So if it's a two-hour video, it starts playing back in two seconds. If you know you scrub to the if you if you seek to the middle of the video, you get a buffer for you know second second and a half, and it and it resumes and it's entirely doing a real-time transcode.
1: So even if you do a screen capture of what you're playing back, uh, your details are visible in that uh, screen capture.
2: That's right. That's right.
1: And does it obstruct the video? I mean, sometimes you want to point to places that might be obstructed by that text
2: it could be so the 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 admins have the ability to kind of configure where they want this stuff to show up you can you know move you can move it around to you know upper upper left upper right lower right uh, lower left We have behaviors so you can have it like scroll in the middle and you know things like that so you can kind of configure it uh, configure the watermark setting and, and hopefully find something that is both Prominent enough uh, to be a strong deterrent, but not in the way of anything that's that's crucial. Th- that's for
1: the proxies, and I assume that the original files are protected, um, you know, with all security mechanisms that you already have on Amazon and uh, S3.
2: Yeah, that's right. So that's for the proxies. The original files don't have any kind of um, you know media uh, security in them, but you know it's it's protected in our in our infrastructure behind a signed URL. Recently, we've done a lot of work on our media transcoding pipeline to, to ensure that it's 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 more secure. We sort of built, you know, many, many sort of l- layers that you would have to get through before you could ever get access to like our S3 buckets, for example. You know, we use a lot of open source software in our media pipeline, so that creates a lot of vulnerabilities. We use FFmpeg, we use GoScript. We use GoScript for processing PDFs, and GoScript constantly has security vulnerabilities. So we built some sort of additional layers in that even if we get even if there are full kind of full exploits of some of the open source uh, libraries that we use that, you know, there's then sort of several more layers that people would have to get through before they could get access to uh, our S3 bucket, for example.
1: Now, you mentioned in the beginning of our conversation, the integrations that uh, you do. With uh, the software tools which your customers use for uh, video production, can you tell us about some of those integrations? I read on your website that you support uh, hundreds, or maybe even a thousand, different systems. It seems a huge number, you know.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, um, so we've built our own kind of first first-party integrations, and then we also uh, a lot a lot of what you're seeing on the website are integrations that are supported through Zapier. But the the first-party integrations are ones that we've built. So we built a, a an integration with Apple's Final Cut Pro, with Adobe's Premiere Pro, Adobe After Effects, and uh, and then we worked closely with uh, with Blackmagic, who who make this software DaVinci Resolve. Uh, and they, they built an integration themselves into DaVinci Resolve. So three of them are first, you know, kind of we own the integrations. Um, DaVinci da Resolve kind of built the integration into their product using our API. And then all the rest that you see on our website are supported through our, our Zapier app. So you can, you know, integrate Frame.io into thousands of other different apps.
1: Can you give us some um, some background about the Zapier app? How does it work?
2: Zapier if you're not familiar with Zapier it's like an if this then that type product so it's a it's it's a it connects you know kind of APIs of different products together so if you build a Zapier app you're kind of available in the Zapier ecosystem and you can say things like well you know when um, if you wanted to create a custom, or say, say you are you're using a project management tool like Asana or Monday or Airtable, you know you can say, well, when this, when I change this record to you know needs review, then I want you to also update that status in Frame.io or uh, you know any you can kind of do anything you want. So basically, like kind of all the actions that we make available as webhooks are kind of available as Zap like Zap actions in Zapier, and you can just you can kind of configure this whole like if this then that for all kinds of different apps.
0: Yeah, Zapier is super, super powerful. It's a really amazing tool. Um, I think it would be interesting, uh, you know, to talk about the technical challenges of supporting, you know, high resolution files, wide color gamut, you know, HDR, like how you guys handle that. um, Because it seems like that's, an element of this as well you know like if you're going to check video quality hdr profiles uh, beyond even just compatibility
1: how do you preserve those aspects of the video in your proxies because it's it's part of the review process i guess
2: yeah it's a great question so on, on particular on the hdr question in, in particular we're, at, we're actually sort of building hdr support in right now we we don't have hdr support in the current version of the product but we uh We are we are exploring it, and we have we have kind of our first proof of concept, Um, which actually is not so complicated. Like it's you know if you have if the HDR flag is is present, all we have to do is sort of read it and not screw it up. Like we don't have to do anything you know we don't have to do anything to the video. It's because HDR is more so on the display side than it is the video side. Um, We can't really screw up the signal. Uh, We just have to the display has to know what type of HDR signal it is to display it correctly. So.
1: But you, you have the video player in the browser, right? So does that video player support HDR?
2: So no, not right now. So right right now, what we're, I mean, we, we really, we literally, I mean, it's a good question because we're literally just kind of exploring this. Um, we, we're right now, we're just making sure that we are, we are preserving the, the, the HDR flags appropriately in the file and focusing on uh ios ipad and airplay as kind of hdr compatible viewing experiences and on the web we haven't sort of tackled the web yet i know there are some some ways that can be done on the web but we haven't tackled that yet in our web player but it's pretty straightforward on on the
1: the native apps
2: on the native apps yeah and all we have to do is sort of tell the tell the player um that it, it is you know what type of hdr signal it is but to answer your question on like how do we deal with the challenges of scaling video uh yeah, it's, they're, they're, are definitely different, different challenges than like say in envision, for example, you know, we have, we have huge files. We've had to put a lot of time and energy into, into file transfer and making sure that our file transfer is reliable for really, really large files. You know, that's, that's an area that I can tell you we've built and rebuilt and rebuilt and rebuilt again. Like our acceleration is one thing and it's like, okay, you did acceleration. It's uh you know, it, it's not a, totally novel approach we kind of put the right pieces together but again like getting it to really work in 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 production with people that are just hammering us with ginormous files and complex folder structures all the time is is required us to rebuild it probably six seven times to really get it to a place where we feel super confident in it so uh, we just had to put a lot of energy into that and then you know same thing same thing goes for our media transcoding pipeline we we chose to build that uh ourselves early on rather than use like you know, AWS Transcoder or Elemental. From the beginning, we, we we felt like we wanted to own our video transcoding pipeline. It's core to kind of what we do. We want to make sure we have full control and ownership over what formats we support and, and things like that.
1: Yeah, I think uh, not only security is a concern for your customers, but also reliability. I mean, you mentioned the transfer of those huge files. Even if it's not a security issue, if something happens and the file you uploaded cannot be downloaded, That's a very big um, uh, problem.
2: That's right. So like doing things like checksums and, you know, um, you know, hashing so we can verify that, you know, things have actually, we've gotten the complete file. Um, Yeah. You know, a lot of, a lot of investment in that reliability side.
0: So Emory, um, you know, you have the perfect tool for the environment that we're in right now, Um, work from home and and various uh, restrictions. Um, obviously a lot of media production is, is halted, is shut down. But uh, from what we're hearing and from what we understand, you know, the way that, you know, videos produced uh, a lot of this content was shot, you know, maybe even sometime last year, and now it's working its way through, you know, various forms of uh, post-production, et cetera. Tell us about what COVID-19, you know, has done for your business. What have you guys learned about the media business transitioning you know, out of the studio into homes.
2: Yeah, you're right. Uh, we've learned a lot, and I think it's had a it's had a huge impact on an industry that's relatively conservative in the way that they work and and relatively slow to adopt new tools and technology. It's sort of you know, media entertainment, unlike kind of the tech industry, startup industry, they're just they're sort of slower moving, a bit of a bit of a luddite type industry. So this has had a profound impact. Uh, in terms of the business, you know, we, as we were entering this, you know, we we were kind of cautious. All right, what what's going to happen? Are we going to see a bunch of cancellations? Is this going to drive more people to to our product? And and we've seen a little bit of both. Um, uh, you know, as you said, we are a tool that enables distributed work, and and this is a time where people are figuring out how to work in a distributed fashion. So the answer, really, the answer to your question is yes. This has been. Um, sort of a net positive for, for us as a business, as people are all struggling and and trying to figure out how to how to continue and how to keep operations moving. Um, it differs a little bit by segment. We serve a lot of different types of customers. We serve you know individuals and in small teams, all the way up to you know major media organizations, broadcasters, and studios. And what we found is for the individuals and small teams, you know, all their work is is they don't have as much runway in their work. So their work is a little bit more timely. You know, they're working on something this month that delivers this month. And and so for that segment, you know, we've seen some increase in, in our cancellations. But for our higher paying customers, the ones that kind of must figure out how to keep things going, um, they're all rushing to get more people on Frame.io and, and you know, keep things going. So so I think that's, that's, that's generally the trend that we've seen, is that bigger companies that have an obligation to keep things going in, in any way they can are, and, and you know, we're, they're driving a lot of usage of our, of our platform. And then the smaller folks are just kind of waiting it out and, and figuring out when they're able to get back to work and start, start doing production again. But this has had a really big impact because, you know, uh, as I said, and as you mentioned, this is work typically at the higher end. It's it's work that happens, you know, in in studios, in offices, uh, very much in person. And our our industry of media and entertainment or kind of video creation in general, it, I I've felt it's really been on the precipice of a major step function change, which is really kind of adopting cloud. So when you think about like, you know, video in the cloud, you think video in the cloud. Well, well, we've been doing video in the cloud for a long time for distribution. And you know we have YouTube and Twitch and you know all these phenomenal um, you know live streaming capabilities and everything, but for creation we've had almost zero adoption of cloud, and you know Frame IO has been in that space, but I'm not you know we're not uh, you know relative to the entire world of video we're still you know an a, extremely extremely small, so um, the in- industry was already ripe for a major step function change of adopting cloud technologies to create video and i think this is just really accelerating that pretty pretty dramatically and i think that we'll see you know uh, that continue uh, even post covid
0: yeah that's that's a really interesting insight and you answered my follow-on question which is um you know the industry is conservative and so um Do you think it's going to go back to the way it was before? But it sounds like, you know, not everybody's just going to rush back into the office, um, drop their Frame.io subscriptions and be like, hey, it's all back to business as usual. You see that there is a step function change that's going to be lasting.
2: Yeah, I, I do. I mean, there's there's certainly there's, there's a behavioral change with like, okay, we we can work in this way. We can adopt these we tools. We can
0: actually work. Yeah, we can get the work done and produce the same high quality, right?
2: Uh, yeah, well, that's right. And I also, even if people go back to the office, I think that you know, for for a product like Frame IO, we're kind of like a relatively new category. We there weren't a lot of companies that sort of existed in our space that people sort of understood and were well defined in their minds. But if you have a company of a hundred people, you still use email. Right. Like you still use email, you still use project management tools. You still use all these software tools that enable you to keep things on track because you don't always want to be talking in person. You don't always want to be working synchronously. You don't always want to be hovering over each other's shoulders. So Frame.io fits into the in-person working just as well as it fits into the remote and distributed working. And a lot of our customers are companies that, you know, like Vice is a big customer of ours. And while they have multiple offices around the world, they have a huge office, you know, right here in Brooklyn, and they have hundreds and hundreds of people that are making video every day, and they could just walk over to each other's desk. But they still use Frame.io in the same way that they use email and collaborative spreadsheets and, you know, any other tool that enables them to sort of have this, you know, this place where they can all kind of work and congregate around the same ideas. So I think that that what this does for a product like ours is it gives a, a conservative industry kind of a little bit of a slap in the butt and and there's some behavioral change that i think will certainly kind of carry through uh post-covid i think the real interesting thing about cloud adoption for video creation is when we truly have video creation tools that originate in the clouds there's an explosion of consumer tools right now that are doing you know like cloud-based video editing let's just be honest they're all terrible i mean they're just they're just really bad. And now maybe they get the job done, right? If you're doing a social video for Instagram, for consumer, they might still be getting a job done that they wouldn't otherwise be able to do. Like case in point, I think Canva uh, is a company based out of Australia. They kind of, you know, big company that grew around kind of producing um, social media type stuff and they were focused on, on on design and stills, but now they added video capabilities. It's a great tool for, for, for that target audience. Um, but with the second you get into even sort of semi-professional video, you know there's there's nothing out there. It's an area very ripe for development. It's a really exciting area, and I think that that'll be you know that'll have a profound effect on on the video creation industry when when something really breaks through and we have you know a Google Docs for video editing in the cloud. But there's a lot of technical challenges around that. Like what is the architecture for video editing in the cloud? Well, you know, uh, you basically I I I've thought about this for many years, and basically I think what it comes down to is, are you guys familiar with Figma? Mm-hmm. It's a collaborative design tool. It's like it's it's like a multiplayer uh, you know sketch or Photoshop, and multiple people can be work. It's like Google Docs for design. Um, you know, multiple people can be working on the same file at the same time. It's all browser based, and it's remarkable because people would have said you cannot build a professional design tool in a browser, and Figma is. Awesome. The performance is awesome. Like you wouldn't believe you're scrolling around this infinite canvas in a browser with ginormous resolution images and vector, you know, vector artwork. And it's just the performance is crazy. They built their own rendering, their own like DOM rendering. And I don't know, they did all kinds of crazy stuff. But the, the reason I bring it up is because maybe that could work for, for video. Like maybe, maybe with things like WebAssembly, you know, you can, in fact, definitely with WebAssembly, you could have, you know, kind of a full scale Uh, video uh, editing experience that runs in a browser. But I kind of think the architecture that's going to win is going to be where you just run the entire thing in the cloud and you do a super low latency stream of the output and you know the client the client experience can like you could build you know a client application in a browser like in react so you have you know native react components in a browser but if you sort of scrub the timeline it sends that command up to the cloud where that video gets processed in the cloud and the result gets streamed back so more of a super low latency live streaming architecture and one of the companies that's doing this pretty well is um, is Teradici And they I don't know if you're familiar with them. They they don't focus exclusively on media and entertainment. They do virtual they do like virtual PCs in the cloud, but it's so good. I mean, the latency, you you know, this has been going on for a long time where you can sort of run your desktop PC in the cloud and kind of log in from anywhere. But the latency was crummy and the experience was crummy. And um, but this company, Teradici, they've done it. uh, They've done it really well. It, It works much better than you'd expect. So like they, they, they have certain segments they, they, they focus on and target and media entertainment is one of them. And so they should, I've seen demos of like avid media composer and you know, you're, you, you have this client uh, client application, Teradici client application that you download. But once you're in that client application, I mean, you, you really kind of just think you're using the, the application. Uh, and it just, like I said, it just works better than you'd expect it to work and um you get sort of like 50 to 150 millisecond latency which is pretty darn good but this is also like you think about like products like google stadia product right that gaming platform they're figuring it out right but they took the same approach they're like well screw this we're going to run the games in the cloud and we're going to do ultra low latency streaming back down to the client and in it and it's a hard challenge to solve and we're not there yet but Couple, there's a couple things. One, like we're clearly going to get there. You know, the, the the whole video engineering industry is just like hyper focused on low latency, like lower and lower, lower, lower latency. So it feels like we're going to get there. And then if you can really solve that, if you can break that barrier, then you just eliminate all the dumb complexity. It, it's just there's so much that you win if you can just win solve that one problem, because then you're just building, you know, you're building standard video engines and you're building, you know, you're, you're doing, you know, big distributed systems. And but like those are like well figured out problems, you know, kind of like. So I think that's the big unlock and it's happening and it'll be curious. What I'm curious to see is, will there be a company that's like just going to create a brand new video editing application from the ground up that's meant for professionals that lives in the cloud? And can really kind of transform the way that the way that people work. Maybe, maybe that maybe that materializes. I don't know.
1: I think the answer is yes. <laughs> we definitely need such a company.
0: I can tell you're super passionate about this. Um, we also are very engaged on the, um, I guess you could say, at the lowest level of the architecture, the computing system architecture. What's happening in the data center, and it extends even beyond just what's happening on the um, on the processor. Um, And you're absolutely right. The technologies, the architectures are being built right now and being worked on for, um, you know, exascale video, you know, video that is either, you know, a social network, someone like a Facebook with, you know, just billions of streams, you know, daily. Um, That's one version of exascale. But another version is, you know, where you have these uncompressed 8k files that somebody is 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 trying to do work on <laughs> that's certainly like there's a lot of bits there you know and it's hard
2: yeah It is hard. And there's actually, there's one, there's one other like key bottleneck to all of this, which is getting the data into the cloud in the first place, because, you know, all this, all this video data, it's a bottleneck because, you know, one, it's going to take a long time to get that initial batch up. But then like, as you're working, you're constantly just creating new stuff and new stuff. And maybe if it all starts in the cloud, even the new stuff, you know, kind of gets rendered in the cloud and all of that. But it's an exciting time. And I, I think that I, you know, to me, this will have, as large of an impact as the transition from analog to digital when we truly get through the other side of it. You know, it's gonna take, I think, five, five years, maybe a little bit longer, could be seven years, but it's so clear. I mean writing's on the wall and, and it'll look nothing like the way video gets made today. And then you start combining all this sort of like machine learning stuff that's gonna kind of assist all the tedious tasks of making video and like blah 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 blah. And you're just It's going to be a wild, wildly new world of making video in not too distant future.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, you see Google Docs versus, you know, offline uh, editing in Word and sending over email and, and, you know, uh, track changes and I'll give you a red line back and all that stuff, you know, versus Google Docs. And it really makes sense that a similar revolution will happen in, uh, in video editing, as you said, it will take time. The technical challenges are uh, are really there. But um, if any of our listeners is looking for uh, an idea for a startup company that will probably, uh, given the right uh, team, of course, uh, will be able uh, to get um, significant uh, funding, then uh, take a look at uh, this uh, cloud uh, video editing. Um, it really seems like uh, something with uh, very high potential.
2: Yeah, I'll also say, if any of the listeners, uh, you know, any any engineers that are really passionate about this space, as you said, I am. I'm really excited about it. I I would be happy to. I would love to talk to people that are also uh, passionate about about these ideas. And can anyone can email me Emery at Frame.io. E M E R Y at Frame.io.
1: Great, and we'll put that uh, email in the show notes as well.
2: Yeah, we will. We will. And um, I, I
0: mean, on that note, you know, are you recruiting right now or?
2: Yeah, might as well, might as well give a little plug there for hiring. We have a lot of open roles. Um, you know, we uh, even even in this current economic climate where we have a lot of open roles. Uh, we're working on some really interesting kind of um, contribution workflows where uh, this is something we've been public on. We, we're, we are working on a camera to cloud. We call it camera to cloud product uh, where we're working with camera manufacturers to integrate Frame.io into the camera, into professional cameras so you can stream directly from, you can record directly from the camera into Frame.io. Um, so some some exciting stuff to work on and and uh, we got a, a small but, but badass video engineering team.
0: I'll, with- I'll also promote that in the LinkedIn group as well.
1: Okay, Emery, uh, thank you very much. This has been a fascinating conversation about uh, the current state of video collaboration in the cloud. And also very much about uh, the future. Uh, And uh, we really enjoyed uh, hosting you here on the Video Insiders podcast. So thank you very much.
2: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. Thanks for coming on, Emery. You shared uh, some amazing
0: insights. And what you guys are doing is really incredible. It's exciting. Thank you for listening to the Video Insiders podcast. If you'd like to appear on the show, just send an email to the video insiders at beamer.com. That's B E A M R.com with a brief description on what you're working on and why you think it's interesting for our audience. This podcast is sponsored by Beamer Imaging. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity that they represent.